you need to change the way you eat. Not you, or maybe you do, but those are the words I heard recently after some routine blood work was done for my wife and I, just for a regular physical. Both my wife and I already live fairly healthy lives. Uh, we're not extreme, but, but we're both physically active and, and fit. I thought we ate uh, fairly healthy, but, but her cholesterol came back elevated. My cholesterol came back much more elevated, we'll say. And we both have high cholesterol in our family history. So our doctor suggested a strict 90-day diet to see if we can lower our cholesterol naturally. Sabrina got some education on foods we should avoid and foods we should eat in order to lower our cholesterol. Thankfully, a lot of these suggested foods I already love. Things like salad, green veggies, beans, almonds and nuts, oatmeal, fish, chicken and turkey. I love all of that. Uh, even a lot of the, the foods you shouldn't eat, we already don't eat, so it wasn't really a big deal. But essentially, you have to greatly diminish your saturated fat intake. And with that information, Sabrina told me the, the dressing that makes my salad so good, I can't have that. I can't have pork. Not like less pork, no pork. For 90 days, no hot dogs, no brats, no bacon. I have to greatly diminish my red meat intake. No chips and dip, no sour cream, no, no cheese, no cream cheese. Basically, it's, it's no joy for 90 days. She was telling me all this through, through a text message on the iPhone, that little bubble pops up, which meant she was saying something next. And I thought, I'm responding before she even says it. I told her, if you tell me that coffee's on the no-no list, I'll just see you in heaven because I'm not giving up coffee. Can I get a witness from all the coffee lovers who are watching today? Thankfully, I already drink my coffee black the way God intended, so I don't have to give up my coffee. That night, though, as we were sitting around our table uh, talking about this lifestyle change we need to make, if we're honest, she was talking, I was pouting. Uh, Sabrina said this, our way of eating isn't sustainable if you want to be healthy. And as I was preparing for this final message of our sermon series called Fragile, an unbreakable faith in a broken world, I got to thinking about that part of my life. You see, I did not do anything to be alive. I was given life by God through my, my parents. But while I didn't do anything to be alive, there are some things I can do, like eating healthier, that will help to sustain the life that I've been given. And this relates perfectly to our unbreakable faith. The last two weeks of the series, we talked about how we can't produce an unbreakable faith. It's given to us by God. But while I can't produce an unbreakable faith, there are some things I can do to help sustain my faith. And that's what I want to talk to us about today. For those of you who, who don't know who I am, my name is Jeff Manis. I am the lead pastor, and I have survived without bacon. For everyone who's connecting with us, whether you're watching on the live platform or watching on demand sometime later, thank you so much uh, for connecting with us 
today on this July 4th weekend. As we head into the restart of our in-person gatherings on Sunday, August 9th, I felt like we should spend some focused time in prayer for our church, our community, and our country. In fact, I feel so strongly that we need to return with an emphasis on prayer that we are starting a monthly prayer event called First Tuesday. This makes it super easy to remember. Uh, On the first Tuesday of every month, starting this Tuesday, July 7th, from 6.30 to 7.30 p.m., I'm going to be leading a time of worship and prayer right here in the auditorium in person. This is open to anyone to attend, and we're going to seek God on behalf of our church as we head to our reopen date. No one is required to pray out loud, so don't let that keep you from being a part of this important event. I just want to have some focused time where we come together as a church and pray for our church. So again, that's this Tuesday, July 7th, from 6.30 to 7.30 p.m., and then on the first Tuesday of every month as we come back together for our in-person gatherings. I hope this series has been good for you as we've talked about what it looks like to have an unbreakable faith in a broken world. Now, I know that you might be watching or or listening, and you don't call yourself a person of faith. Maybe you believe there is a God, but, but for whatever reason, you've not put your faith in God. You've not surrendered your life to him. And if that's you, if you don't believe, I want you to know you can still belong here at Element Church. We, we're going to love you right where, where you are, but because we love you, we're also going to do our best to lead you to where we believe God wants all of us to be. Our vision here at Element is this. We exist to guide people to experience life to its fullest, connect into meaningful relationships, and make a lasting impact. And we want that for you, too. Our theme scripture for the series, the, the whole series is kind of born from this verse, is 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. In this verse, the Apostle Paul says this, We have this light, the light of Jesus, shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God, not from ourselves. That, that our world and our bodies, they might fall apart, but our faith doesn't have to. And while God is the one who, who gives us this unbreakable faith, there are some things we can do that will help to sustain our unbreakable faith as well. So here's the big idea for today. If you want to write it down, you can. The start of our faith is done by God, but sustaining our faith is done together. The start of our faith is done by God, that that without his Holy Spirit working in our hearts, drawing us to himself, we would not even be able to put our faith in him. But sustaining our faith, that's done together, that we each individually, we are in partnership 
with God to sustain our faith. So here's the big question we've got to ask. How do we sustain an unbreakable faith? How do we sustain an unbreakable faith? 2 Corinthians 5, 11 through 21 is our main scripture. You can follow along on the screen. You can use your own Bible if you want to. Or if you don't have a Bible, you can download the free Bible app called YouVersion and follow along there as well. 2 Corinthians is in the New Testament portion of the Bible. And we're actually starting with the verse that we ended with last week in our main scripture. Because remember, all of this is one continuing thought from the Apostle Paul. So starting in verse 11, God, through the Apostle Paul, says this. Because we understand our fearful responsibility to the Lord, we work hard to persuade others. God knows we are sincere, and I hope you know this too. Are we commending ourselves to you again? No, we are giving you a reason to be proud of us so you can answer those who brag about having a spectacular ministry rather than having a sincere heart. And I love what Paul says next. If it seems we are crazy, it's to bring glory to God. And if we're in our right minds, it's for your benefit. And then he says this, either way, Christ's love controls us. If you're watching, say control. Christ's love controls us. So how do we sustain an unbreakable faith? Now, I understand there are a lot of things we could talk about that help us sustain our faith. But if we're just pulling out a few things from the scripture here, here's the first thing I see. Number one is this, be controlled by Christ's love. Be controlled by by Christ's love. Paul says, whether we are crazy or whether we're in our right minds, what is it that controls us? When the world falls apart, when our bodies begin to fade, all the things we've talked about the last several weeks in this series, how do we sustain an unbreakable faith? Paul says, we are controlled by Christ's love. That word control in the Greek language that Paul used to write this is the Greek word suneko. It's a powerful word. It means to hold together, to hold fast, or to be seized by like an illness. So does the love of Christ seize me like an illness seizes the body? Does it hold me together? Does it hold me fast? That's powerful language, isn't it? And what's my part in this? Do, do I have a part in this? I, I think we do. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, the writer of Hebrews says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance. We talked about that in our series, to run with endurance the race God has set before this. And look at this. We do this. This is our part. By keeping our eyes on Jesus, 
the champion who initiates. That's our big idea. Jesus is the one that starts our faith and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, what did he endure? He endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he's seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Isn't that awesome? Listen, there, there is no greater indication of, of God's love for us than the cross. Cross. No greater indication. And while, yes, Jesus rose from the dead and is no longer on the cross, I do believe it's the cross of Christ that can be our greatest reminder of his love for us. So, so that his love can control us. Wouldn't it be nice, weird side note here, but wouldn't it be nice if, if every time you were about to sin or every time you were about to lose focus on Christ, a cross would appear in front of you? Wouldn't that be helpful? Sabrina and I were talking about this the other day with just a couple of our kids, that, that when you're about to do something or say something or, or look at something that you're not supposed to, wouldn't it be great if like, Bam, a cross is right there. Or Jesus would appear right in front of you. One of our kids said, it would be way easier to do the right thing if that happened. To which I said, is there something you shouldn't have done that you'd like to tell us about? I didn't say that actually. But I agree. It'd be way easier if Jesus appeared or a cross appeared. Unfortunately, that doesn't happen. So, so each of us, we need to figure out what we can do to remind ourselves of the love of Christ. What can I do to keep my eyes fixed on, on Jesus and what he did for me on the cross? How can I do my part to be controlled by Christ's love? I couldn't think of a more perfect example of this than, than with my best friend, Todd. Uh, Todd and, and his family attend Element, and, and recently he shared something with me about how he keeps his heart and his mind and his life focused on and controlled by the love of Christ. Now, this doesn't mean that he's never failed at this. He'd be the first one to admit that he's failed in this, but it is a way that helps him stay focused on the love of Christ. And I want you to hear from Todd what he does to be controlled by Christ's love. So go ahead and check out this video. Before we begin, I feel like I have a sense of responsibility to share something about disciplines. A discipline is only as good as the effort put forth towards it. If you're serious about it, you'll do it. And you won't do it until you see what the eternal consequence is. That's how I feel about this one discipline in my life. With that said, most of the time, I feel like I'm the only one that deals with temptation and sin. Obviously, I know that's not true, but darkness loves to create comparison for the sake of isolation. Anyone that knows me knows that I lean into prayer with every ounce of who I am. And in prayer, I would ask for God to take these recurring temptations and sins away from me. These temptations and sins that I have to deal with constantly. Lord, just take them away, please. 
Then in a moment of quiet, it dawned on me. He's already dealt with the sin. As my mind reels in the obvious, I'm already on to the next question. Okay, what am I supposed to do with these temptations then? What am I supposed to do with these temptations that just pop up out of nowhere? So I imagined, what would my temptation look like if I could put it in my hand? What if it had a shape? What if I could feel its weight in my hand? So I mentally put my temptation in my hand and I stare at it. Initially, I want to pursue it. But the message I've heard from every sermon and scripture is now telling me to give it to him. So I look at it sitting in my hand and then I look up to the cross. I can see Jesus hanging there. I visualize every gruesome part of it in my mind. I can clearly see every sin dripping off of his body. His beaten and torn body is hanging there for me. I look back at the temptation in my hands and I think, is it worth it? Is this temptation worth the most beautiful life that ever was, hanging there on a beam like a piece of meat? Suddenly, my temptation doesn't seem so appealing. I feel sick to my stomach. So I go to lay it at the foot of the cross and there isn't a dry or a clean place to set it. Just a puddle of his bodily fluid everywhere. In my humility, I want to lay my temptation in a respectful manner, but that's not possible. I have no option but to lay my temptation on the aftermath of sin that's pooled at the foot of the cross. When the world consumes, when darkness closes in, when temptation swells in my mind, I give it a shape and a presence and I give it to Jesus. Grateful doesn't even come close to the posture I pursue. I know my sin is the reason Jesus was placed in the tomb. Because of that, I want my life to be worthy of the resurrection that came next. Isn't that amazing? So, so good. The start of our faith is done by God, but sustaining our faith is done together. So how do we sustain an unbreakable faith? Be controlled by Christ's love. That in comparison to the cross of Christ, nothing else matters. Nothing. Then Paul continues in verses 14 through 17. He says this, Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they'll live for Christ who died and was raised for them. So we've stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view, how differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a what? A new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. So the second thing we can do to help sustain an unbreakable faith is this. Be changed by Christ's life. Be changed by Christ's life. Listen, I, I know this is strong language I'm about 
to use, but, but, but it's so true that in Christianity, change is not optional. It's not optional. Paul said, when we receive this new life from Christ, we die to our old life. Whoa. That, that we no longer live for our, ourselves. We, instead, we live for Christ. Is anyone else convicted by that besides me? And then Paul said, the old life is gone. A new life has begun. Notice the new life is not finished yet. It's just begun, which means we need to continue to change. And yes, God has the power to change things in us, and he does that. But I am also responsible to partner with God in choosing to make some changes as well. Listen, God won't ever force you to change. He won't force you to change. He gives you the choice. So what will you do with that choice? I will tell you this. You will never live out an unbreakable faith if you are unwilling to change the way you live. You'll never live out an unbreakable faith if you are unwilling to change. Let me give you three things I think you can do that I believe are essential for seeing effective change happen in your life. Two of, of these things, uh, two of these things, I think almost everyone could even guess I'm going to give you, but don't let that, uh, you know, ha have you tune out this portion of the message because they are vitally important to sustaining our faith. So three things, Here, here's the first one, pray every day. Pray every day. And not just, Lord, bless me, Lord, keep me. Pray Psalm 139, 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Like, start with that as your prayer every day. Search me. Test me. Lead me. Listen, prayer needs to become more, uh, more about us becoming more like Christ and less about what Christ can give me in this life. It's, it's okay to ask God to do things for us. That's not what I'm saying. But the main focus of our prayer is not getting God to do more things for us. It's getting us to become more like our God. That's some good preaching right there. So, so search me, God. Test me. Point out anything in me that offends you. And then lead me along the path of everlasting life. Lead me in a new life. You can pray that every single day. Second thing to do is this, read God's word every day. Read it every day. This, by the way, ties right into the prayer piece. And here's why. How do I let God search my heart? How do I let God test my ways? By comparing my life to his word. And whatever does not line up in my life needs to change to match the word. Psalm 119, 5 through 8 says it this way. 
Oh, that my actions would consistently reflect your decrees. Then I'll not be ashamed when I compare my life with your commands. As I learn your righteous regulations, I will thank you by living as I should. I will obey your decrees. Please don't give up on me. I've used this before, and I just love that last prayer. Don't give up on me, God. I want to change to match your word. And listen, you will never know God's will apart from being in God's word. God's will and God's ways are expressed in his word. And yes, I know that many times his word is hard to understand. But you will never learn to understand it if you continue to neglect it in your life. Now, a lot of Christians do really well on the prayer and the Bible part, but they really struggle on this last one. I'm, however, more more convinced than ever that this is just as vital as the first two. And the reason we struggle with this one is because this one requires us being vulnerable And we don't like that, and we're not good at that. So the last thing I would tell you to do to be changed by Christ's life is this. Be in true community. Be in true community with other people. This is so, so huge. You will never experience the change you need without choosing to live in community. You'll never experience the change you need without choosing to live in community. We need it. A a smaller group of people that we are doing life with, that we are on the same journey with, that we encourage one another and pray for one another and challenge one another and, and motivate one another and carry one another's burdens and we serve one another in Christ's love. And listen, What happens in this room on Sunday morning is not community. It's not community. It's it's important. It's awesome. I can't wait to have it again. I think there is something incredibly powerful and energizing and inspiring when God's people get together in person and we worship God in song and we read from his word together. But that's not community. Because you can attend a Sunday morning service in this room and then leave and never feel like you have to change because no one's holding you to it. There's no accountability. And accountability happens in true community. When it's done right, true community is a place where you are loved unconditionally in your faith, but you are also led to be uncomfortable with your faith. It's a place where we we can all share our failures and our struggles, but we are also strengthened by one another to overcome them. It's a place where we can't hide the dark parts of our soul. And that's a good thing because I need that and you need that. And listen, Not every small group has true community. I get that. It takes time. It takes specific people to get that. But true community will only happen in a smaller group than what happens here on Sunday morning. And make no mistake about it, without true community, I don't believe you'll ever experience the change you need, and I won't either. 
I actually believe there are lots of forgiven Christians who are on their way to heaven, but they are missing out on the full life Jesus has for them because they refuse to live in community and be changed. And I want you to experience the full life Jesus has, not just a forgiven life, but that only happens in community. The start of our faith is done by God, but sustaining our faith is done together in partnership with God and with others. So how do we sustain an unbreakable faith? Be controlled by Christ's love. Be changed by Christ's life. And then the last thing I see here is this. Be captivated by Christ's calling. Be captivated by his calling. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 21, Paul now concludes this scripture and concludes our series. And all of this, literally everything we've talked about every week, everything we've read, all of it is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. Praise God. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Isn't that amazing? Well, what a beautiful way to close out this section of Scripture and to close out our series. And I love that phrase, this task. Paul said God has given us this task of reconciling people to him, which means this for you. No matter your career, you have one calling to be a part of reconciling people to God. When we live our lives captivated by that calling, it will help to sustain our unbreakable faith that everything I say and everything I do and everywhere I go, I am an ambassador for Jesus, that changes everything, everything. Did you know even in the act of communion, we're a part of this calling to reconcile people to God? In a moment, we're gonna celebrate communion Communion was established by Jesus himself on the last night of his earthly life. He had dinner with his disciples, and, and, and while he was having dinner with them, just hours from being betrayed, arrested, crucified for, for our sins, Jesus took some bread, and he broke it and gave it to the disciples, and he said, this bread represents my body given for you. Whenever you eat it, do it to remember me. Then he took a cup of wine and he, he passed it around the table and he said, this, this wine represents my blood given for you, shed for you, for the forgiveness of your sins. Whenever you drink this cup, do it to remember me. 
Then in 1 Corinthians, Paul was actually giving instructions for communion. He was teaching Christians, teaching us on how to take the Lord's Supper, how to take communion. And look how this ties in. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six: For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup of communion, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. That even when we celebrate communion, we are portraying to other people that Jesus came to reconcile you to God. That he gave his body and he gave his blood to forgive us of our sins, give us new life today, and power to live our lives for him every day. And listen, even right now, if you don't know Jesus, even by, by the act of communion, you can use that time to put your faith in Christ. So if you're watching, wherever you're watching from, I would encourage you to get some bread and to get a drink of some kind to represent the blood of Christ. And I want to take communion together. And I want to pray for us as well. And if you want to receive Christ by faith in him, you can do that right during this time. Jesus broke the bread, gave it, and said, this is my body. I'm giving it for you. Whenever you eat the bread, whenever you eat it, do it to remember me. You can eat the bread. Then Jesus took the cup and said, I'm about to pour out my blood to forgive your sins. I'm giving my life for you. So whenever you eat the bread and whenever you drink the cup, remember my body given, my blood shed. Do this in remembrance of me can drink the cup. Father in heaven, I thank you. I thank you for the unbreakable faith that you can give to us. But Lord, I want to do my part to sustain that faith. So Lord, help me. Help me to be locked right in with you, that I be controlled by your love, changed by your life, and captivated by your calling. Lord, if there's anyone that wants to put their faith in you, I pray, Lord, right now they would express that faith, that Jesus, I want you to forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart. Make me new. The old life will be gone. I will follow you in a new life. I receive salvation from you. In Jesus' name, amen. I love you guys so, so much. If you did, take that time to ask Jesus into your heart. We'd love to know about it and celebrate with you and welcome you to the family. If you're watching on the live platform, just click the button that says, I commit my life to Jesus. If you want to also text us, you can text the word one to the number 41400. Text the word one to 41400. We have free resources for you, and we want to welcome you to the family as well. Again, I love you guys so, so much. This Tuesday, 6
6.30 p.m., our first Tuesday prayer event. I hope to see you there. Have an awesome, awesome week.